0: Hi everyone, welcome to Baby Steps Nutrition, a podcast that focuses on nutrition, health and wellness for families of children of all ages and stages. I'm your host, Argivon Neil fourouge a pediatric dietitian and mom of two young children. My goal is to bring you impactful information that you can apply every day in a simplified, practical form to make life easier. Now, let's get into today's conversation. Diane Kahn is the executive director of the Humans of San Quentin, a nonprofit project that collects and posts real stories shared by people currently incarcerated in prisons throughout. Humans of San Quentin aims to bring awareness and build connections, to give voice to the unheard by sharing daily life inside prison to educate and build compassion by sharing the lives of the humans living behind bars. Diane holds a Master of Education from the University of San Francisco and has worked as a social justice advocate and teacher at San Quentin, helping incarcerated men to attain their high school diploma. She launched Humans of San Quentin in 2019. Hi, Diane. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me today. When I first found out about you, I knew instantly I wanted to meet. So here we are. What an honor for me.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, I'm excited to answer all your questions.
0: I'd love to hear your story, how you ended up teaching and your earlier experiences as an elementary school teacher.
1: So I started um, teaching right out of college and it was right here in the Bay Area and I was teaching at um private schools with primarily white students and it was a gift that the kids I had were a sponge so I could teach about the kelp forest and we could go down to the ocean and uh, take everything that was there and take it back to the classroom and reinforce all our um, lessons so it was a gift if I had any kind of disciplinarian problems I could rely on the skills that I had of, of um Positivity and set up ways for them to, um, want to achieve. So it was a, it was a beautiful teaching experience for a very long time, which then led me to where I am today inside San Quentin and where I see the impacts of the disparities in our country as to how we treat people in underserved areas Mm -hmm. and how we treat people with color. Um, so, all that has led me to where I
0: am now. Mm-hmm. And as you know, having worked with children, and I work with children, and understanding just what fundamental human needs, especially children need in order to thrive, are to be seen, to be heard, and listened to. And the people that you work with are the most deeply wounded people who probably lack those as children. Can you share why does it matter to you so much to be the voice of, of these people?
1: Well, when I look at the population that we serve and its adults that are now around the world that are incarcerated, mm-hmm. they don't have the same start primarily as the children that I taught or the children that I raised. So most of them come to us with trauma in and out of the classroom. Uh, trauma at home, and poverty. So you put all those into a classroom, and your outcome is not going to be what it should be. So for me, it felt, it felt like a crime or an injustice for me not to share um, with the rest of the world what I'm seeing inside the classroom, inside San Quentin, and, and subsequently around the world.
0: Hmm, And I think the beauty of the research that's come out, so much attention has been given to the ACEs, the acute childhood experiences, because I think previously there was a thought that whatever happened to you, you were stuck with, that was going to be your ultimate, you know, that's just how you're going to go through life. But now there's so much understanding of these things happen to you, and these are the things that could have impacted you, and there are ways to address that. And to Mm. and to change, Um, it's almost like not changing your past, but acknowledging your
1: past in order to be able to move forward. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of truth to that. Just clearing it, and with the men that I work with directly inside San Quentin, the amount of work that they go to in their self help groups is startling. So when I look at a lot of the men around the table in our our staff meetings, they their emotional intelligence is through the roof. And that was also a part of what led me to where I am now is that the men that I see, the ones that are educated, that have done the hard work, they do need to be out here. They do need to be interacting. And usually their number one place they want to go to is with the youth and correct um, where their wrongs began. So it is, it's startling when you do come across emotional intelligence and the work that it takes to get there. Um, is a lot. So you talk about those, you know, ACEs and adverse childhood experiences, they can be corrected. And, you know, outside here, we don't necessarily go to necessarily self-help groups, but going to therapy or just talking to someone about them, you really can clear them and move on. And that um, speaks to rehabilitation. So, you know, the men that, that I'm with and, and now other people, um, incarcerated. So women and trans, um, they do, they go to those really, really dark places and they uncover those. Uh, So it's really a beautiful, it's a beautiful experience for me. Mm
0: -hmm. And I'm curious, those first few weeks when you started working with adults, because previously you had worked with children, what was that like? Because people often think that children are little adults and that's so far from the truth. What did you see there in terms of just you know, eye-opening experiences, light
1: bulb moments? Um, Pretty quickly, I was amazed. Um, What happens first is we go into a classroom and we meet with our team inside, which are um, men that are incarcerated as well as our outside team, which is teachers. And we sit around a table and we do a check-in. And they'll tell you exactly what's on their mind. They'll be crying, they'll be laughing. Um, So instantly, I was moved by their vulnerability. And then as I moved into the classroom and people would write us their stories, I was shocked at their truth and how willing they were to give it. And until that point, I hadn't been um, educated too much in prison reform. And people even ask this today, oh, you know, they all think they're um, innocent. Actually, no, they don't. It's very, very rare that we have people that come to us that actually um, lead with that or think that. Uh, So there's somebody that comes to mind right away. His name's Dwayne, a friend of mine now, and he was just released from Pelican Bay a couple weeks ago. Um, He was working at San Quentin with me at the time, incarcerated, and came to us and was one of our lead teachers, ended up being one of our lead teachers for math. And he tells me about how he had a brother and a sister and his sister was luckier than he was. Um, she had a grandparent uh, that lived nearby. So she actually had somewhere to go where there was heat in the house or there was a meal on the table and there was actually someone there. Um, and then he very, very um, clearly comes and writes and tells us about his crime. And he realizes the second that he pulled that trigger and he could see that bullet leaving the gun, that it was the worst, worst decision of his life. And it was going to be the first time that he was going to be seen. So until that point, no one had really seen Dwayne. Um, So for me, I, 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 and I can say this again, that. To be able to share that I'm, I'm sitting in a very sweet, position where I can share that with the world. So it drives me What drives me to do what I want to do every day to share those voices in our society as away, so they don't have the opportunity to share. Um, and for me, there's a lot of life lessons there. So being a teacher, you know, there's so much we can learn from them. Mm-hmm.
0: Diane, you said something that struck a chord with me, and you said that people will often see inmates as they think they're innocent. And I actually disagree, and I think it's the opposite, where they're probably the hardest on themselves because of their experiences, and they probably carry so much guilt and shame and the things that really bring down a person, right, a human being, because Mm -hmm. of our capabilities and because we're often, those are the things that I feel like really can wear us down to our core is the guilt Mm -hmm. and the shame and the blame. And they probably have had that their whole life. And then Mm -hmm. to continue having that for themselves is probably something that's impacting them even more than society.
1: Yeah. When you say that, the first person that comes to my mind, and um, one of my sons is a uh, junior at Redwood High School here in Marin, and he was helping me cut up some videos. And we were um, looking at Kimberly, who I interviewed in November in Taconic State Prison in upstate New York and she starts crying um, as i'm talking to her and she talks about how difficult it is at night when that steel door of her cell locks and she's stuck in that room by herself until 6 a.m that next morning so when you talk about that inner critic we all have you look at this person who has truly live that inner critic and has been criticized and has done things and has been shown things and lived a life and then to be left alone with it. Mm -hmm. Um, So she talks about how she has to put on this brave face in prison and she can't show who she really is. Uh, And she breaks down in tears. So um, it's a video that we just cut. So we'll be putting, putting it up eventually. But I think that would be the hardest part is when you're already down on yourself to then, live that in prison in the whole world, see you like that forever.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I can't wait to see that video, but I think these are all of the reasons why these stories need to come out. And so speaking of stories, I'm also a huge fan of the humans of New York stories by Brandon Stanton. And I know you were inspired by his work. Can you please tell us about that and how this all motivated you to be
1: here? Sure. So we were um, teaching inside San Quentin and meeting people like I introduced you to Dwayne and hearing these stories. And about the same time I was also following Brandon Staten at Humans of New York. And for those people that don't know about it, he has an online platform where back in 2020 he was unemployed and had a camera in his house that he wasn't using and dusted it off and went outside and extemporaneously would take people, uh, people's picture and interview them and put it up online And being a highly relational person that I am, I just fall into each and every one of those stories. Mm -hmm. So for me, it felt like I couldn't resist the opportunity to be able to share those stories. So that's where the name Humans of San Quentin was born. Um, And then do you want to hear how we got started after that? Yes, please. So um, I had this idea and I went to um, a good friend of mine um, at the time, was um, incarcerated and an accomplished writer. His name is James King. He's now um, been released and works for the L. Baker Center and is on our board. And I pitched my idea to James who was getting released. And he says, I think I have the person for you. So he sat me down with the senior editor of the San Quentin News, which is the only newspaper that is uh, published and written by people incarcerated. And his name's Juan Hines. And Juan and I sat down from the very first conversation we had. He says, Diane, I've always wanted to share the men's stories in blue, but I've never had the platform. So together we pitched it to our public information officer. And the public information officer of each prison is the one that decides what information can leave. Uh, So we pitched it to him. um, His name was Sam Robinson or is Sam Robinson. He was the public information officer at the time. And this was about nine months prior to the pandemic starting in March of 2020. So we pitched him the idea and he loved it. And he says, I'm going to go to headquarters in Sacramento and fight for this for you. He's like, just hold on. One month went by, two months, three months, four months, five months. And I go to him and I'm like, Sam, I know this is hard. I know how hard it is to get a program cleared you know, in all the prisons in California." And there's other um, programs inside the media center in San Quentin. I can just, you know, I can work under them. He's like, no, 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 I want this for you. I want this for Juan. Uh, And we were cleared um, in February of 2020. So uh, right then the pandemic started, I'm not able to go in and Juan is locked up. So our original impetus was simply to interview people in person. Um, he and I would then edit them together and then I would be outside and be able to put it up on social media. And then we also have a friend that had been recently released. His name's Eddie Harina, who's our her, our photographer. And Eddie has a really interesting story. He was incarcerated and his cellie came to him and said, we need a new photographer at the San Quentin News. Would you be interested? And he's like, what are you talking about? I've never taken pictures in my life. So he taught himself how to take pictures while he was in there and very well accomplished. And when he um, was released, Sam Robinson let him take all the photos with him. So uh, for those people that don't know, it is extremely difficult to get a picture of yourself taken while you're in prison. And many of them have a background of poverty or don't have any support from families. So even getting pictures of themselves prior to being incarcerated is very difficult. So it was a very big gift for us to have people that we knew that were currently incarcerated with their pictures. So the three of us were a wonderful um, trio together and wonderful partners. So when the pandemic hit all that shut down. Um, So I have this desire within me to share those voices that burn so deep every day that I, um, met with Juan, we writing, uh, and he and I come up initially with what we call a, um, what did we call it? It was a, we call it now an introductory packet. And, um, we took pictures of, um, what Brandon Stanton had done with humans of New York. We wrote up a letter of, um, what exactly we wanted from them. And Juan started passing it out inside in between his, um, bars, the cells to uh, different guys in there. And at that point we had interviewed about 20 guys inside and I was hesitant to, to interview anymore because I didn't know if we would be cleared and I didn't want to get their expectations, um, set. So we, Um, put up the 20 guys um, on Instagram and the outpouring instantly was extremely positive and extremely high. So um, once the word caught fire that we were doing this inside said, Quentin, the guys could write us from our cell and then we had the pictures from Eddie um, and it took off. So instantly we um, then started hearing from people, Um, primarily on Instagram of people in their family that were incarcerated. So we started uh, them sending out packets to them in different prisons in the U.S.
0: Wow. And so there's a word that I've been hearing you say a few times, and that's instantly, which I would think usually things take time. And so it sounds like when there's a space space for people to share their stories, they do. And so it sounds like you've created these opportunities where, like you said, like when you're in the room with them, that they're articulating their feelings and they're sharing experiences and, and even meeting you maybe for the first time or so, they're, they're almost jumping in both with both feet because they want to connect and they want to show the human side of them that maybe hadn't been shown maybe ever
1: a hundred percent. And back to what you and I were talking about earlier about the inner critic, they are, and they will tell you, they are erased. Mm-hmm. Um, and the biggest impact, and it will even bring me to tears to talk about this. And I hear it every week. I hear it from uh, the people inside St. Quentin. We have a little PO box in outside of St. Quentin in St. Quentin village. And we get these thank you notes mm-hmm. um, from people that truly changed their life they will tell you about how they were never seen or heard before. And to be able to give them the opportunity to not talk about their crime is something that doesn't happen to them. Mm-hmm. Um, we had one guy Clifford write to us recently. And we, what we do is we very meticulously send back um, their comments and their likes um, from all our social media channels. We anonymously um, white out the names and send oh, it in. I love that. Yeah, and also we send a um, certificate of vulnerability and truth and honesty, which they can then um, take to the parole board should they have the opportunity to do that or if they're looking to uh, have a commutation or anything with um, legal purposes. And Clifford says to us, he says, my name was only ever associated with an indictment. I'd never be seen as a person. So for me, it's a gift for their families to see them and people out here to see them. So there's a huge overpour of joy and humanness that comes from people that are currently incarcerated. And we've put them up on our website, our humans dot org. You can see them there. And we say we also share them on our social media channels. Um, but it's a big gift. And. And when we first sit down and interview them, they're shocked. They, they say, do I have to talk about my crime? And I usually try to even get to them before that, but I don't want to hear about their crime and I don't want to hear about their court case. I simply want to hear how they are. And my reason for that is to build connections with people like you and I, who possibly haven't been touched by incarceration. So we can Hopefully, um, the goal is that people can set aside what they think they know about incarcerated people, and they can open themselves up to the possibility that people can and do change, and they can potentially look at what was done to them before that crime happened. And what I have found with the numerous people that I have sat down with and the thousands of stories that we have received, that I have never met someone who's incarcerated who was not a victim. first.
0: Yeah. I mean, so I know for myself, I so believe in the power of storytelling. Like when I came across a platform like the Humans of New York, and I know millions of other people were drawn as well, it's because when you read a story and you think about how articulate and a lot of those people have such high emotional awareness that you may not think just passing by someone on the street or you see a homeless person on the sidewalk. And But it's when people read those stories that they get to see the depth of their character. And a lot of them really impressingly can share vivid details of their life and how they feel and goals and hopes and dreams that they have, but it's just an easy Mm -hmm. platform to share that. And so I love the work that you do because it combines all of those things that we're talking about.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's beautiful that you can see people no matter where they are in life as a human, right? Yes. We're all humans. We all have struggles. We're all have things we're going through. So what I try to enforce with people is not to judge. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Diane, I want to ask you, so the rate of high school dropout for a lot of inmates is quite high. Why? What is this school-to-prison pipeline?
1: Um, That's something I feel very positive about, and I've shared with you my um, background with teaching. Um, There's a gentleman who graduated from Yale, Yale Law School back in 2020 his name is Sam Davis and when I a lot of what he says and believes in definitely resonates with me um, but he goes and first of all to give a little background about the school, the prison pipeline is there's a disproportionate tendency of minors and young people from disadvantaged backgrounds to become incarcerated. Because of harsh standards that happen in schools and policies that we have set up. Um, like I told you how I disciplined, you had positive discipline, or if things happened in my life when I was a child, you got a talking to Um, And you had your parents that reinforced that. When you look at, let's look at San Quentin in particular. So 85% of the people in there are Black, there's maybe 2% that are white. And most of them um, come from poverty. Uh, like Dwayne and I told you about, no one's there knowing if he's going to school. There's not even heat or food in his house, right? Um, so for me, when I look at our public schools, I look at the racial segregation. I look at, in this case, there are you know, prominently white populations that are underfunded, and then you look at the segregation and black students at a very early age are vulnerable to invasive policy and criminal system involvement. So instead of giving a talking to, they'll be arrested. Um, so they're the consequences of that child, their academic and pre- professional trajectories are different. They aren't, necessarily mainstream like I told you they're coming to us with trauma already they're coming to us studies say anywhere from 40 to 55 percent of the people incarcerated have some kind of mental illness um so you look at the punitive practices that are are disciplining these children in school um you look at the you know societal values and um they're not made to thrive so they very much Their school-to-prison pipeline is high. There's a direct link between um, where they're going to go. And the men that I talk to in particular in San Quentin will tell you that that was in their horizon. They knew people that were incarcerated, whether it be their dad or their uncle or people in their gang. Um, It's something that's known to them. Um, But back to what I was telling you about um, with Sam Davis, he talks about how... Um, the public policies need to change. He talks about the municipal policies. Um, he talks about the school officials and things like cutting class and talking back to a teacher, and just the you know the tremendous disparities that there are for children and how they are subject to criminal punishment.
0: You know, as you were talking, I was thinking of this quote by a teacher that went viral that I have saved and I've shared over and over again. And I can't remember the name of the teacher, but it said, whenever a child walks into my classroom, all I say is, I'm glad you're here. And so that quote is so powerful because he doesn't ask them why they're late. He doesn't say a negative comment about their demeanor. He just welcomes their presence. Um, And I feel like all of the things that you said really go back to that quote of needing to really understand and having compassion and and connecting with kids to see, you know, not like what's wrong with you, right, but what's Mm -hmm. happening to you or what has happened to you.
1: Yeah, simply to validate who they are and where they are.
0: Yes. And that goes such a long way, especially as children, going back to that fundamental human need of wanting to be seen and heard and listened to. Diane, I want to ask you, you immerse yourself in stories of grief and trauma. Um, This must require a very special skill set or mindset or strategy skills. What do you apply that you feel help you make meaningful connections with people, especially when trust is such a big topic? Um,
1: It's probably threefold for me. One um I think of a quote like you like what you said about the teacher. There's one that always comes to mind that says um you should always give them a smile. Give someone a smile because that might be the only one they get that day. So when I walk into Saint Quentin I'm looking at this population of 3000 men and I put a big smile on my face. Cuz there I know that quote and that smile is the only one they potentially get, and also to get it from a free person. Um, So I, you know, twofold, I think it's, I think of it as the, on the flip side, that it's a gift for me to be able to sit there. I feel lucky that I get to sit in the fire. I get to feel the pain. I get to feel the joy. I get to feel the love. I get to experience someone else's life they have lived. And in what I've chosen to do of unearth these stories, I'm able to be a part of someone's growing process and I crave it as a teacher and it speaks to who I am. So it's a gift that I look at that I've been welcome to sit there. And then secondly, or thirdly, and following up on that smile, I am um, was interviewing some women and, um, down in Mexico city um, at a maximum security prison and they are in a cell that can sleep four people with four beds and they put about 15 to 22 women inside of it. And here I show up, this prison in particular lets me bring in a, a video crew and they stumble over their words and they can't quite look at me because they don't know why I'm there. Man, that brings me to tears to think that there are people that can't get to us, especially um, in in these prisons in Mexico and in many. I've been down to them down in Colombia, uh, Guatemala. They aren't many of them aren't given a sentence, so they haven't seen a judge. Um, they can't get mail. They can't afford to make phone calls, so they're erased. So for me to be able to give back and help the underserved and then to reach someone like you and me is an absolute gift. I crave it. Absolutely crave it daily to get those stories out. Um, And something that comes to mind when you said the word millions earlier. So Brandon Staten on his Instagram page at humans of New York, he has approximately 11 million followers. And you're going to think I'm crazy to say this, but um, there's approximately 11 and a half million people incarcerated in this world. And I want to hear from every single one. of them. Same. Yeah.
0: I mean, you've started doing that work. So I hope a lot of people who feel inspired and motivated can also be a part of that journey because it's important that we do. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, Diane, you have spoken about some team members that you work with, um, many of them who have been incarcerated. Can you please tell us about each of those members, a little bit about their stories and what you feel makes this team dynamic successful?
1: Uh, Sure. And it it wouldn't um, survive without um, the people I've told you about already. So Juan, Eddie, James, all two previously incarcerated. One is still incarcerated. Um, I would say the center of our workforce is our inside team. So we have an inside team of nine staff, and we meet um, every Wednesday afternoon, and we um, have a poetry page on our website because of a guy inside, Alex Ross he wrote to us in the beginning and during the pandemic, I'd never met him and writing was was a struggle for him. We would write back and forth in order to get um, a three paragraph story to put up on uh, social media. And then he started sending, Oh, then the pandemic happened and I was in our meeting and he says, you know, does anybody ever send in poetry? And I said, you know, we've gotten some, uh, but we haven't done anything with it. So he starts writing me poetry Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden Alex sings like a bird. Wow. And if you go on our website and we we put them up on social media um, randomly too, but that is where I hear the crux of what's happening to people inside because many can't write and you really do get the raw feelings of what's happening in those cells or what's happening with their love life or what happened with their parents or the hopes that they have in the future. Um, So we also have our art page. So Bruce Fowler is a very gifted um, artist inside and, there's not anybody that I, that I don't meet inside that has him on a pedestal. He has rolled out, single-handedly rolled out our uh, art page. And I can uh, share with you that I just got in my hands uh, yesterday. He um, We were donated um, from a group um, inside um, that um, gave... 50 different canvases inside that are six by six inches and they're wrapped on wood and uh, Bruce has given them to his buddies inside and they're jaw dropping so um we haven't ever sold art or gotten into it before but we're hoping to be able to potentially take it on tour a little bit or hopefully we'll have some places here in Marin that will show it and then put it on our website Um, and sell it so we've got a wonderful robust um, team inside Um, each bring different things to us and pushing us in areas that we would have never I would have never thought to be able to go into or had the access to and then we also have um, people that are previously incarcerated that work for us as editors and transcribers Um, we've got Marcus Blevins we've got Joe Crowder uh, both of them are really are, um, we lean on them for a lot of the writings that we get from inside. So they were both released in the last few years. There's a lot of terminology or a lot of different um, places that we'll find people in that we can't necessarily put into writing or how can we articulate or is this something that um, the California Departments of Corrections and Rehabilitation will let us put up. Um, so they're really a sounding board. They're um, definitely our intellectual property that keeps us on the straight and narrow and educated every day. Uh, and then, um, one part that I'm really proud of so, I've had um, four kids in Marin County that are going through high school. I have gone through high school and were during the pandemic and during the time that we um, launched. Um, and they found out what I was doing and would literally show up to our house in our early days before we got an office in San Rafael, right outside San Quentin, and would sit down and help me read through the stories and transcribe and set up our databases. Uh, so right now it's grown to a group of about 25 high school students in San Francisco and Marin who show up after school. They do those packets that I told you about earlier. Um, and they correspond with, correspond with the men back and forth. We have um, Amanda, who's our lead intern, She's at um, Marin Academy, and she uh, is fascinated by, the, by death, death row, and we call her inside out, our inside outreach coordinator, and she single-handedly researches and gets a hold of people around the country. So there's no way for us to advertise or, or do any kind of marketing to get people currently incarcerated to write to us. So we literally have to look them up into into the databases for each um, state, and she will send a packet and hope that it's accepted. Um, So I'm super proud of them. Um, But we are a little tiny, tiny force. We've got a small office, so all of us tend to be generalists. Uh, There's only two people that are paid. The rest are um, volunteers, so it's definitely a community effort.
0: I can only imagine how much your team is going to grow. As you're talking, I'm getting goosebumps all over my body, which you can't see. Just amazing stuff, especially about the art canvas that you shared, and then how a lot of these young people want to get involved, which I'm hoping my kids, when they're a little bit older, will too. Um, Diane, you've had incredible life experience. What are some words that you live by that you apply to both your professional and personal life?
1: Hmm, that's a that's a good question. But there's something that comes up for me every day about hearing people's stories. And I live it and I hope other people will take the time. But what I like to say is I think if you invest in the time to learn and know another person's story before we judge them and throw them away. I believe that if we do that, we'll find that we have a lot more in common that binds us together than tears us apart.
0: Oh, I love that. And I wholeheartedly believe in the ripple effect. And I think just like you mentioned, eye contact, right? And smiling. Those are things when you walk by someone, make sure to do that because just making them feel seen and heard. I think just brings a little joy in their day. And I think those are the small things that we can do, but we, but we have to do in order to mm-hmm. make ourselves feel, each other feel seen and heard.
1: I agree, exactly.
0: And Diane, all of the things that you mentioned, I'll be sure to include those in the show notes to make them easily accessible. Where can our listeners find out more about you and ways that they can involve with your mission?
1: Um. So our website is uh, where we house everything. HumansofSanQuentin.org, and then we're also on the, um all the social media channels, um, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter. We even put some stuff up on Reddit, TikTok. Um. But I, if there's something, anything that I could ask of people, it would be for them to talk if they've heard what you and I are talking about today just to open their eyes to it and talk about it and maybe when you're going to hire somebody maybe you'll look at them differently maybe when you're at a grocery store and you see somebody with tattoos all over you all over them you will look at look at them differently and maybe not cast them aside and be so judgmental um, right away. And then secondly, we're a brand new organization. We're still in our infancy. Um, in order to keep our stories going, we do need people to donate. So we do have a donate page, um, at humans.org. Um, and I would love to bring on more people. We need a, um, social media person right away to keep all our voices going. And, Um, you know, Amanda is going to graduate pretty soon from Great academy and we're going to have to somehow reach people in the other States, um, and keep our stories going. So, yeah, thank you for asking how you can help.
0: Wonderful. And I'll include those as well. And then I'm happy to get involved in any way that I can, because I fully support your mission and helping your team grow. So definitely count me in however, whatever you need
1: well, You already are just by giving us a voice. So that's what gets me on here and talking to people like you is knowing that my voice is really speaking for a lot of people incarcerated. So thank you already for what you're doing. I really appreciate you.
0: Thank you, Diane. And I really feel like we need more people like you in the world. As we talked about storytelling is such a fundamental part of being human, and it lets us create an emotional connection. It lets us heal and may help heal someone else. So thank you for finally allowing people to be seen and heard as adults, even when they did not get the opportunity as children. And I look forward to seeing more of your extraordinary work. Thank you for being here.
1: Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Huge kudos. Thanks.
0: And to the listeners, thank you as always for tuning in. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Baby Steps Nutrition Podcast with your host, Argavan Neufourouj. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into all the tips and tricks you and your family can use to make daily life a little easier. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please leave a rating and review, share with others, and follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Baby Steps Nutrition Podcast. As always, you can head over to babystepsnutrition.com to sign up for our email list, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. See you next time. Tune in. Feel great.